All right, gang. Good evening. What a beautiful day it was today. Everybody enjoy it? Man, I didn't want to come to church. Or pastor humor. So my kids always say, oh, Bible jokes. Good one, Dad. That's all I got, man. Tonight we'll be in Genesis 30. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, and then we'll, well, I'll pray while you are got your eyes open, flipping the pages. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the depth. And um, it's a deep well that we can draw from. And, and every time we go through the scriptures, we learn a little bit more. And tonight as we study all these sons that are born to Jacob and the one daughter, we get such great insight into the Joseph situation, the story that we know so well. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to have the same grace and mercy that you have for these folks. Um, And then teach us also. I thank you for um, for the ministry of sharing your word for the opportunity to hear your word. And we pray that you, your word would work in our hearts tonight and that our, our faith would be increased. And Bless the kids as they're learning your word and studying and the teachers that have taken the time to prepare the lessons that are going to love these kids and share your grace and mercy with them and truth. And we pray that those kids would never forget. In Jesus' name, amen. Study the Bible a lot. It's kind of what I do for a living. And uh, this has probably been one of the more impactful Bible studies that I've ever studied for. Um, I know this story. This is a a story I'm well-versed in. I've taught several times. Um, But this study, as I'm preparing for you guys tonight, in conjunction with my visit to my parents last Monday for my mother's birthday, this Monday for my mother's birthday, too old to come and go uh, as she would please and didn't want a lot of visitors. So good old son came over and sister joined me and we had a little cake ceremony and, and looked through some old pictures. And so that's all going to tie in today, but boy, I learned a lot. Um, like practical application stuff, not just more insight into the text, but oh, you know, into human nature and how... Um, how I had several people in my life actually exemplify this teaching to me. And so let's get into it. Verse 1, now when Rachel, that's Jacob's true love, saw that she, was, she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God? Um, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb. Now I'm going to stop there. I won't stop that often, but I do want to stop there. Rachel's beside herself. And I'm, I know that sometimes the Old Testament can feel a little dramatic to me. I don't know if it does to you sometimes, but I'm like, okay, I mean, really? Give me children or I'll die. That's how I see it. I see some woman going, oh, you know. But this could be Moses' way thousands of years ago, writing what a lot of people go through. A type of depression, a heaviness that is so overwhelming that if this situation doesn't get resolved, I'm so consumed by it, I can't get my mind off of it, I think I'm going to die. Literally. Like suicide or whatever. I just don't think I can overcome this. I can't be content here. You know? 
I think of, um, remember, uh, Eli and the, and, the, and, and the little boy who gets born to uh, the woman who doesn't have children, and um, she's weeping before the Lord, and the, the priest comes in, Eli comes in, and he says, what are you weeping for? Why don't you put away your wine? You know, completely misunderstanding the situation. And she goes, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just really pouring out my heart to the Lord, and I'm so overwhelmed by the grief of not having a child, you see. He completely misunderstands. And I, so I look at Rachel a little differently as I'm studying this. That this, this isn't being Rachel being um, the pretty one, uh, the, the, uh, the one who can't handle pressure, the one who's not like Leah, the tough, you know, funny eyed girl that's learned to grow up tough and she's got lots of kids. And, and Rachel's just the pretty one, you know, in the bikini that can't figure out why things aren't going her way in life, you know. That's kind of how I used to see her, honestly. As the pretty girl who can't handle pressure, everything's come easy to Rachel, maybe. But that's not the case, I don't believe. I honestly believe, for one thing, she had to submit to Laban when this whole thing went down. She had to sit there in her room while the love of her life, and I assume it's mutual, that Jacob loved her and Rachel loved him. But she had to sit in her room that night while knowing that Leah was being snuck into the bedroom of her beloved. And he, Jacob, really thought he was making love to Rachel, but wasn't. I mean, the whole thing's a disaster. And we kind of went over that last week. And I know I used the term I said we probably shouldn't use, but it's hard to use any other term in mixed company and with little ears. So we'll leave it at that. I think Rachel really feels the loss. I don't know how long, but it's obviously been four years into this marriage. Her husband visits her, but when he wants fruit, when he wants sons, goes to Leah. And so this is graded on her. And so she comes to him and says, please give me children or else I die. Now that is an unreasonable request, obviously. And Ray, Jacob's response is a typical male response. Look, honey, it ain't me that's the problem. So sensitive, you know. But he feels attacked and he feels defensive and he's responding. And this is the first time he's probably ever been mad at Rachel because she is the one that honestly he worked 14 years for. And Leah knows it. Leah knows that the first seven years weren't for her that the second seven years weren't for her, and that honestly her husband Jacob worked all 14 years for the one, and that's how he feels about her, and was willing to do it. He didn't walk away after seven years and say, I can't do another seven years. Leah's good enough. No, in his heart of hearts, he says, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes, and works 14 years for Rachel, and Leah's had to live with that. So when Rachel asked Jacob... Give me children or else I die. And Jacob says, I can't open your womb. That's something God can do. And some say, well, that's not, you know. Honestly, verse 2 gets confirmed by verse 22. Now I'm going to take this moment and back up here and step aside out of the text, out of the story. And so here's a little tidbit for us. When we study Scripture, not everything works out like 2 and 22. Some people read the scriptures and they say, well, it says in the Bible that God opens the womb and he closes the womb. It says there right in chapter, verse 2. Well, 
that's not how we study Scripture. The only reason that can be a true statement is because of verse 22, where God actually confirms it and says, I understand Rachel's in a tough spot. I'm going to open her womb now. But just verse 2, the statement made by a human being documented by historians doesn't make it true. A lot of times we'll see that in uh, when we're trying to witness to people or minister to people or share the love of Christ with people. They'll quote things from the Bible that are just human quotes from Scripture that are accurate. Yeah, that person really did say that, but not doctrinal. They're not correct. This one happens to be. So it might be a bad example, but I'm showing you that when you see something like this, um, how am I supposed to open your womb? Only God can do that is only a true statement because of verse 22 that says, I'm going to jump ahead so we understand it. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. That's the only thing that makes verse 2 real and true is because of 22. So when we study scripture, we have to be careful that when we're going through Job and we see his friends pontificating, and sharing with them all their brilliant knowledge that they have, just because it says so in Scripture doesn't make it Scripture. Doesn't make it God. It is in God's Word, but it's people saying stupid things. That's just documented. Okay? The true parts of Job are the last two chapters when God steps in and says, now that you guys have all used your tongues, too much so, let me tell you how it really is. Everybody listen up. And he rebukes the three guys for being stupid. And he rebukes Job for opening his mouth and talking about things that he doesn't know about. Where were you when I formed the earth? You geniuses. Now he doesn't say that. That's me. So when we study scripture, we have to be careful that this is how we study scripture. I can't just take any old verse and tell everybody that's solid doctrine. No, 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 that's not how it works. This is just a really honest book about a lot of people that had a lot of problems. We could very much go through this whole chapter and several chapters and say, so God agrees with polygamy. Absolutely not. He's just not laying the hammer down on them. They're all wrong for doing this. This is bad news all the way around. Laban's wrong. Jacob's wrong. Rachel's wrong. Leah's wrong. Everybody's getting a wrong view of what God's intent was for marriage. You want to see God's intent? You go to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you see him lay it out for us. That's his intent because that's his narrative. These are just people not doing well, but it's documented. Okay, so now I'm back into the story. Let's come back to the story. Give me kids or I'm going to die. How am I supposed to do that? I'm not the problem. Verse 3. So she said... Here is my maid, Bilhah. That'll help. Bring in a third woman. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as a wife. And Jacob went into her. No argument from him, apparently. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan, and Rachel's maid Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. He's visiting this tent frequently now. Then Rachel said, with a great wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Okay, we're not all here, are we? 
to look at this situation and say, yes, this is, this is great. I've got two boys now. No, you don't, honey. You don't have two children. I don't care what your culture says. I don't care what... You're not seeing this right. But in her mind, this has helped. I can kind of see Rachel's eyes kind of spinning like pinwheels, you know? She's not all there. And I don't know if that's the lack of, or the, the, there's so much competition in the family. I mean, these are sisters competing with one another for children to see who has dominance in this bizarre household. I hope we understand that. And I want you to also understand there are little boys watching all this go down. We forget about the kids. We forget about the kids all the time. We've got little boys watching this all go down, seeing the unspoken tension in the tents, watching dad go into that tent, and then dad's going into that tent, and then dad's going into that tent, and everybody's celebrating these kids. Do you know what that's doing to them? Are any of the adults paying attention to what's being shown to these children? No, is the answer. No one's watching this. No one cares. It's all about me being on top. It's all about, it's all about me being vindicated. It's all, about, it's all about me. And so she says, I'm going to call him Dan because I've, God has judged. Has he? And I'm wrestling. I've wrestled. I wrestled with my sister and I beat her. So his name's Naphtali. No, both of these kids are Bilhah's kids. They're not your kids. And everybody knows it. Bilhah knows it. Even Leah knows it. Leah's going, yeah, great, great job on the two boys. But the fact that her sister is boasting about it is going to cause Leah to start competing with her maidservant now. So Leah saw that she had stopped bearing. She took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Four women now. Thank goodness Jesus Christ came into this world to set women free from this kind of garbage, being treated like cattle, finding their self-worth in whether they're bearing children or not. And if they're not, they better be bearing boys if they are. I joke around with my daughters about that, you know. Back in then, when you had the gender reveal and pink came out, everybody wanted to kill themselves. Oh, another girl. What a horrible existence. What an absolutely wrong view of God's creation. Women have been ripped off. And I'm not, I'm not that guy, don't get me wrong. I understand there's places, there are roles, there are responsibilities that God has given to both. But when Christ says, there is no longer male, there is no longer female, he means it. When it comes to salvation, there is no difference anymore. Both are completely valuable and equal in God's eyes. Different roles, different responsibilities, but make no mistake about it. That caveman mentality that's going on right here. Here, take her. Poor servant girl. Maybe she thought it was awesome. I don't know. Like, I'm never going to get married. Oh, well, Jacob, that's pretty cool. It's going to step up as servants go. Who knows what their mindset is, but it's, it is so far from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. So far from what God intended. Satan has corrupted so much. 
And as I was studying this and being revealed, God was revealing things to me, and it'll come out. I mean, not, not, nothing that we don't already know, but it was new to me, you know? I'm terrified at what I don't know when I see. I'm, I've been in the Lord for 26 years. I've taught through the Scriptures probably honestly three times at different ways and still probably not too honest because I didn't teach the Psalms and the Proverbs because I just kind of think those are kind of hard to teach and I don't want to tackle them because it's kind of the same thing every Sunday, you know? I'm praising the Lord. And I need to do it, so I'm going to do it when we come to it. But I've been through this a lot and I've applied a lot of it. And I've sh- the principles in my family hopefully are evident for people to see to some extent. But then I'm studying this chapter 30 for probably the 17th time, but taught it for the fourth time tonight. Oh, I'm, I'm, what don't I know? What don't I see? You know, I tell you what, I see these folks in a whole new light. I, I, you know, you always focus on Jacob and the meaning of his name, deceiver, governed by God, and so on. But this is so bizarre, and it is, it is what we're reading here in chapter 30. is You don't have to make the Bible applicable. Look how applicable it is today. As all 12 brothers, for the most part, you've got six that are true brothers, and the other six are half-brothers from four different wives. And we think today, we're like, oh man, there's so many mixed marriages and so many strange configurations of things. It's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. We just don't have all four at the same time, you know? But we still have those half-brothers and we have those half-sisters and we have different family dynamics that are so, oh my gosh, when we get together for Christmas, it's hard to figure out who's who, you know? They're going through it. And we have, this is the beauty of it. That, that's not to, to, to say our society is crazy and gone to hell in, a basket, hell in a handbasket. It's to say we have scripture that speaks to our current issues. It's happening. And we have scripture that can teach us how it works. I went up to see my mom. I told you that I was going to try to incorporate that into the teaching tonight. And we're looking at old pictures because she's sometimes there and she's sometimes not. But for the most part, she's really lucid, you know, and, and can join in and it's, it's good. And, and she's just tired and kind of old. And it's like, you know, I don't really want to focus anymore. You know, I get it. I wouldn't either. Tune out whenever you can, you know. And we started looking at her mom that I've known, Anna. Her name was Anna, but died when my mom was 10. And I'm putting this all together in my mind for the first time as a 50-year-old man, I'm starting to connect the dots. I'm thinking, she, so Grandma Nori, that I've always known, my grandfather's second wife, has always been, honestly, my favorite grandma. She's not my grandma. It's for the first time as a 50-year-old man, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm not a blood relative of that woman that I think is the greatest grandma that's ever existed. She was the squishy grandma. You know, my grandpa was a Norwegian with the big chiclet square teeth. That's where I get these from. And had the hardest recliner you'd ever sat on. Brown and just, and you sit in it and you're like, grandpa, this is horrible, you know? <laughs> and then you go over to her chair. I mean, it's honestly like we're reading the three little bears. We walk over to 
We go over to grandma's chair and it's squishy and it's got wings and it swivels and it rocks and it's soft and it's just padded and there's an ottoman with the frost. Perfect picture of their relationship. Stiff, old, you know, stoic Norwegian. And then there's this Swedish lady over here that just is loves to square dance, you know, and all this, and takes her husband dancing and clogging and all this stuff, and he's going, I'll do it, you know. <laughs> it's so funny. She was never a blood relative of mine. I know that, but I don't know that. She's never been a more real grandmother to me in my life. This woman who had no relation to me whatsoever never gave me the slightest inclination that she was not my relative, that I was not of her own blood. She treated me in such a way that it never crossed my mind till I was 50 years old and she's been dead for 15 years that, oh my goodness, she's not, oh, Ada. And Ada's really not my grandma either because my dad was adopted. So I technically have zero grandparents that are blood relatives. No idea who they are. Never met them. But I never knew that. What a testimony to them. What a testimony to them. To be able to treat this little kid, and I was not the easiest kid, if you can imagine, grandkid, as I kept telling my grandfather, my grandfather would sit at the table. I know you all want to know this, too bad. He'd sit at the table at the head, you know, and it never failed. My grandma would, she lived, you know how you talk about kitchens? Oh, this kitchen's too small, I'm a realtor. Those kitchens too small. I said, you have no idea. My grandmother could literally go to the stove, open the fridge, and there was no such thing as a dishwasher, you know. So her counter space was like that. And that was her domain kind of thing. And she would cook up these amazing meals and bring them all out and set the table. I mean, we, we didn't have dinner. We dined, you know. Crystal. And the whole thing, she would set it up like a pro, you know. And inevitably, my grandfather would come from his chair to the table and sit down and say, I don't see the saltine crackers. Oh, 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 forgot the crackers. And she'd run off to the kitchen and get the crackers. And I'm sitting there going, I'm appalled. And I would tell him, I said, Grandpa, why don't you get up and get your own crackers? <laughs> and my mom would grab my knee under the table. <laughs> Ow, mom, don't squeeze my knee. You know, I was that kid, clueless. This is their family dynamic. This is how they work. Grandma doesn't mind, loves it. This is what grandpa does. He doesn't mean anything by it. He just wants to know where the crackers are for his salad. You know, they're not here on the table. That's her domain. That was his domain. You know, it worked. So I was that kid. These grandparents were amazing. So we can do it is what I'm trying to encourage us to do. Your family dynamics aren't hopeless. They're not... It's not the biblical example of Genesis. You know what? We're in Genesis 30, and we're nowhere near Genesis 2 and 3. And yet, I grew up with a family that knew how to be loving. I had grandparents that knew how to do it. And I don't even know if it ever crossed their mind, because if it did, they never let on. They never let on, you know? So I learned a lot as I'm studying this. This is going to explain so much when we get to Joseph. Competition. Leah sees that her sister is having kids and that she's stopped bearing. So she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. There's going to be a whole mess of kids coming out of this gal, and they're all mine. 
Okay, no, Leah. Again, they're not. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Jacob's awfully quiet right now. I'm just saying. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will, come, will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. So, so far we've got four kids from Leah. We've got two from Bilhah. We've got two from Zilpah. You got three different, okay? So they're all half-brothers, or a lot of them are half-brothers, and they stick together. Then Rachel said to, okay, now Reuben went out in the days of wheat harvest. He's the firstborn. Mom's Leah. Reuben's been watching this for, can you take a guess at his age? Because honestly, you can't do it wrong, really, because we don't know the age. Well, we do know a high end and a low end. Can anybody guess how old Reuben is as he goes out to the wheat harvest to help? He's between 6 and 11. I just want to keep that in mind as we go through this next thing. Because while he's out for uh, this wheat harvest, he found some mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your mandrakes. Mandrakes are small little orange fruits that grow on bushes that are meant to be Fertility, but for fertility. It's a superstition. You eat these, you're going to have babies. You know, kind of like our oyster thing, you know, or whatever we have today. I don't even know what the things are today, you know. So it's an aphrodisiac. Reuben, eight years old, 11 years old, we don't know, is out harvesting and he sees mandrakes and he takes them to his mom. Your mom. This kid's super aware of what's going on. He completely understands the trials and the struggles that his mom is going through, the family dynamic that's all messed up. He sees his mom desperately wanting to have more kids to get dad's affection. This kid picks up on everything. And guys, our kids pick up on everything. They're little sponges that just listen and watch and learn. And we don't think they're paying attention. Reuben is so affected by it, he says, Mommy, would this make you feel better if I gave you some mandrakes that I found? Oh, son. Maybe I'll have more kids now. He picks up on that. How sad is that? Part of the story. That's the worst part of the story. This little kid that should be enjoying himself, playing in the dirt, working out with dad, having dad's full affection, is so troubled by his mom's depression over not having more kids or having a love from her husband that she should have, that he finds these aphrodisiacs out there and delivers them to his mom. Maybe dad will love you now kind of thing. He gets it. Our kids get it. They pick up on it. So, as he brings those to Leah, Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. She saw it go down. Are those mandrakes? Yeah, but they're my mom's. I mean, you, I, we don't know what was said, but you see the thing? Give me some of those mandrakes, Leah. I want some of those. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? Reuben's still standing right there, I guarantee it. And all the other boys. All the little kids are all gathered around watching this all go down. And they've been watching this go down for 11 years. Or however long they were born. Reuben 11 at least, if not. And the other little kids watching. You took my husband. And Rachel said, 
Therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. I'll trade you. I'll trade you. He won't come to me because he always comes to me because I'm the love of his life. I'll send him to you if you give me some of those mandrakes. Because the idea behind it here, if you didn't get the translation, is, honey, what are those mandrakes going to do for you if I keep them in my tent? That's the idea. So if you want these mandrakes to work, you're going to give me some of them, and I'll loan you out my husband. Well, your husband, our husband. Wow. And Leah says, that's a good deal. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening... He has no idea what he's walking into here. Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. Hmm. And God listened to Leah. Listen to her what? We don't have it documented here, but she must have prayed. She must have been seeking the Lord or she's crying out and complaining so much about not having enough kids or her heart is so broken that God's able to see all that. And please be encouraged by that at least tonight. That whether it's spoken out loud or whether it's not and it's internal, whatever your troubles are, whatever your trials are, whatever your struggles are, please know that this scripture applies to all of us as God is very aware of everything that's going on in our heads and in our hearts. He knows that. He cares for us. He'll step in when it's time, and he'll stay out of it until it's time. So just because he hasn't answered your prayer or done anything for you yet, it doesn't mean he's not very much interested in what's going on in your heart and in your head. Because he steps in. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. That's not why it happened, but that's what she thinks. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. So now it's six to zero, although Rachel somehow thinks she's got two. Actually, and Leah thinks she has eight by now, if you can do the math and keep it all straight in your head. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me. So we are back to... If I have enough kids, maybe my husband will love me. I've given him six boys in an agricultural society. That's very, very valuable, obviously. Those are guys I don't have to hire. I can just feed them. Of course, feeding teenage boys is a little interesting sometimes. But obviously, it's very valuable to have six sons and then some to be a part of this business of farming or ranching or whatever whatever these folks are all doing, probably a little bit of everything here. I've given him six sons. Now he'll dwell with me, which is all she wants. Maybe he won't just keep his toothbrush at my tent. Maybe he'll move in. You know, that's the idea. So she called his name Zebulun, and after she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah, at least they mention her, Bible doesn't normally mention her. So there's going to be 12 boys and one girl. Then God remembered Rachel. It's the first time. And God listened to her and opened her womb. And that's why 22 confirms 2. That God was keeping her womb closed. 
that he did understand Leah and her lack of love. Do you remember how this all went down? I know you know, but I want to spend some time on it. God understood that Leah did not have the love of her husband, and so she began to give her boys, and she misunderstood that as God is giving me chips to get, you know, poker chips, basically, to get my husband to give me attention. No, I'm giving you a child that's going to love you unconditionally. The love that you're not getting from your husband, boy, you're going to feel it from these boys. And already Reuben's showing that, isn't it? Mom, I love you. I see your pain. I see your hurt. Sensitive to his mom's needs, understanding her emotions and what she's going through. And as a man, that's what we do. We try to do something. How can I fix this? How can I change her behavior? How can I? It isn't a bad, hey gals, it isn't a bad thing when your husbands try to fix stuff for you. Sometimes that's all we know what to do. We see that you're hurting. We understand that you're going through a hard time. And we're not good at just letting that go. Give me somebody to kill. Who can I kill for you? I want to make it go away. Honestly, that is our heart. We want to make it better, but we know that we can't do anything other than, well, we can kill people. I can give you more money. I'll get another job. Will that help? No, I just want you to listen to me. That doesn't compute with us. <laughs> I don't understand that. How is listening going to help? It, honestly, that's our thought. Would you just listen to me? Yes. How is that going to help? It's going to help because that's what I need from you right now. I don't understand that. Okay? It's ironic. Because I can kill people. <laughs> but listening is just way too simplistic for me. So guys, I hope you heard that. Just listen to her. You don't have to kill anybody. You just listen to her. But you see Reuben doing the best he can, even at the age of 8, 9, 10, 11, however old he is. I can't help mom any other way than bring her, I can bring her some mandrakes. And honestly, it kind of lifted her spirits. God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. That's what she's been feeling. Reproach. It isn't enough to be the pretty one. It isn't enough to have your husband work 14 years for you and not even love your sister at all. It isn't enough. The reproach is, I'm not giving him any kids. And now he's taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph. Do you know what went down when Joseph was born? Can you imagine the self, given the dynamic and understanding the situation so far, how they're, he's just toggling between tents when Rachel, the love of his life, 14 years after working for him, seven more years with so on, finally has the baby that everybody seems to have been waiting for. And dad is ooing and aahing and Rachel is walking around like a peacock. And Leah's standing there with her, all of her kids in her hands, and Reuben's looking up at mom, and they don't need us anymore. All the kids that have been born so far, now that Rachel's had the one, Joseph, do you understand why he got sold now? Can you get through your, how could they sell their brother? Do you see it? It's the first time I've ever seen it. I understand these guys now. I get it when they look at their brother coming out with the coat of many colors. 
the chosen one, the guy who God, dad has put in charge now of all of us. And they're all going, oh, here he comes. Here comes big sleeves. That's what that meant. Big sleeves, said the big sleeves, you know. He's not, a, he's not a worker. He doesn't have you know, his sleeves rolled up. He doesn't have grease on his hands. He's, got the, he's the white collar guy showing up saying, what are you guys doing over here? You're not supposed to be. I had made that up. I don't know what Joseph sounded like. He's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. It isn't Joseph's fault. Poor Joseph. What was he supposed to do? Not be born? But do you kind of understand the other boys now? As they look at Joseph and they say, here he comes to come check on us remembering the celebration, remembering this moment right here as everybody's, Joseph, oh, Joseph, oh, Joseph, you're so good looking. You're such a great boy. And all the other boys are now, I don't even know if dad's paying attention to him anymore. Reuben, you still picking mandrakes? Pick some wheat. Hopefully we understand. Now we switch gears. Those are the boys. We're up to 11 now, if you haven't been keeping track. Benjamin, the other boy from Rachel, isn't going to be born for a couple chapters here. Okay, so those are the two boys that come from Rachel. So now we've got it all laid out. First four from Leah. Second two from Bilha. Zilpa gets the next two. Then Leah steps in again and gets two more, plus a daughter. And now we've got Joseph and Benjamin, which are going to come from Rachel. So if you can keep that all straight. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service, which I have done for you. In other words, I'm tired of working for you for an hourly wage. You are so blessed beyond what you can imagine since I've showed up. Now, sometimes Jacob thinks it's him when actually it's just God's hand upon him. God's building a nation if we all forgot. I think Jacob did. I'm building a nation here, you know. So he's going to bless him with all this stuff. Well, he says, well, why am I working for hourly? I can get my own. I can start my own business over here. Send me away. And Laban said to him, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. I understand that God's blessing you. Now, Jacob probably didn't take that right. Now, Jacob, we really need you here because I know that God's blessed me. Because you're here. And Jacob thinks, no, you're blessed because I'm here. So there's a little, there's a little tension here. And he said to him, name your wages and I will give it. And so J- Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock have, has been with me. For what you had before I came was little and has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I want anything from you. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. I'll take care of your stuff. I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I'm going to be a blessing to, your bo- to you as my boss. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. In other words, God will take care of me. When the subject of my wages comes before you, everyone that is not speckled or spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. So we're going to be able to tell our flocks right away. I get all the speckled, spotted, striped, and brown ones, and all the other ones are yours. And so we'll always be able to tell. Laban says, that's a good idea. I like that. Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, 
all the female goats, goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, he gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So, separated them. Um, took the boys and says, you guys get over there, take my flocks over there, and you go do what you need to do. I'm going to stay over here and manage Laban's flocks, my boss. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white stripes in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, or the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive, now that word, don't we use it wrong. The, the word conceive here in the Hebrew is when they go into heat. So it changes things. They're not conceiving because they're seeing stripes, the stripes in the birds, or even maybe the chemicals coming out of these plants or something is causing them to go into heat. And so that's the purpose behind it. It's not like if I look at something striped, I'm going to have striped babies. Now, that's not what's happening here. That's bad animal husbandry. This is some interesting things for sure. And I'll throw this out there. It could mean absolutely nothing. Because all we know that is God is blessing him. So he could say, I think if I put chocolate in the water, I'm going to have more cash. I don't care if it's chocolate or if I get credit. God is blessing Jacob with lots of spot and spot. He's going to increase his wages. So I could tell you, I am the greatest realtor that this country's ever seen. I'm closing more houses than anybody. And God's going, you ain't doing nothing. It's all me. In fact, I'm fixing all your mistakes and you don't even know it. You get the picture. So Jacob may be walking around saying, I'm the greatest and you've been blessed because of me. And God's like, not really. It's because of me, but okay. So he's doing this thing. And he goes on to continue to have babies this way. Then Jacob said, verse 40, then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown and the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them in with Laban's flocks. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock went into heat, conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive or go into heat among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler uh, were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female male servants, and camels and donkeys, and so it happened, is the idea. God blessed Jacob and, and began to increase him and prepare him to be a nation of 70 and eventually millions. So this is the beginning of that process. Two things I want to close with. First thing is I want to add one more thing to the fact that these boys that are growing up in this household have seen how siblings act amongst themselves. They're learning. When Jacob talks about his brother, what does he say? Where's, uh, where's Uncle Esau? I had to run from him. He wants to kill me. Okay. So brothers don't get along. Well, mom, whichever, pick one. How are you doing? Well, I hate my sister. And all. They have learned what it's like to have a relationship with their siblings. And so, again, doesn't surprise us at all what he does to Joseph. Well, this is normal behavior. I'm going to treat him like Esau. I'm going to treat him like Esau treated my dad. They're learning this stuff. All to say is, when we have a people roast at home, whether that's a relative roast, and you know what I mean by a roast, when we talk about them behind their backs, 
when we have a roast on the way home from church on Sunday, when we have a roast on the way home from church on Wednesday, when we have a roast of any kind and people are involved, our kids are watching and they're learning. And they're learning how to roast people. And we shouldn't be surprised when they roast. Oh, don't say those things about your brother or sister. What do you mean? I learned it from you. Gotta be really careful about the roasts that we have. Because our kids are watching. The second thing I want to leave you with is I want you to notice Jacob's principles for prosperity. Okay? Jacob is, whether you like him or not, he says, don't make wealth your goal, Genesis 30, verses 25 through 26. It's not about that. It's about I just want to separate myself. Don't be afraid to work for others and try to increase their wealth before or as you work to increase your own wealth, Genesis 30, Verses 27, work hard, dedicating yourself to your employer's success. Genesis 30, 26 through 31, 38 through 42. We have scriptural basis for this stuff. One of the greatest books Jenny ever had me read, she suggested it to me, was called The Giver. It's a wonderful book, amazing book on how to, you don't worry about what you're going to get, you be a blessing to as many people as you can, just be a blessing to them. You let everything else take care of itself. All biblical, of course, but just dumbed down for someone like me to read. You know, That's exactly what Jacob does. He says, Laban, I'm not here to quit. I'm still going to take care of your flocks. I just want to have my own little thing over here. And as he takes care of Laban, and as he doesn't put wealth in front of duty, all of a sudden he finds himself becoming taken care of by the Lord. He's completely put us his trust in God, which is the final step of the four. Don't make your wealth your goal. Don't be afraid to work for others and try to increase their wealth before, or as working to increase your own wealth. Work hard, dedicating yourself to your employer's success. And the final thing is you trust God with the results of all that. Oh, they're just stepping on me at work. They just treat me like garbage. They're just looking at me like I'm a... You don't worry about that. You work for God. And you make sure that your employer's business is doing the best it can possibly do. And you make sure that you're never the problem at your job. That when he comes into work or she comes into work, that you're not the one that, oh, I wish they'd call in sick. Everything works so much smoother when so-and-so isn't around. You know, don't be that one. Don't be that one. You trust God. Anyway, a couple things I pulled from this. I told you, I learned a lot. So I don't know if you guys got anything tonight, but boy... I got a lot to chew on. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We appreciate you sharing all these honest stories, um, showing the dynamic here. And no one else would know this stuff but you as you look into these tents and you watch this all go down and you made sure that we were able to read it. Lord, there is hope for us. There is hope for us in our family dynamics and the strange things that we've gotten ourselves into. You can work these things together for good. If we would be submitted to you and to submitted to your son, Jesus Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit, full of love, grace, and mercy, we could undo. Love covers a multitude of sins. So I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to do that, to not be selfish, to not be self-centered, to not be concerned with our well-being, our advancement, our being acknowledged by anybody that we would spend our lives serving you to make you known, to make other people successful, to help 
them with their problems, to be a blessing wherever we can go and trust whatever happens to us to you. Apparently you do. Time and time again, through your word, Lord, you show us when others are in the forefront of our mind, you take care of all these things, which is such a, such a basic principle of the New Testament. If we just seek your righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. They'll all be added unto us. You tell us and give us permission to just focus on you, to being a blessing, and you'll take care of all of those things that we're so worried about. Thank you for that, God. Makes it easy. In Jesus' name, amen.